0: speaking through me this time everything that needs to be spoken under a mighty anointing and everything will be accomplished and then through this time and the word that you will to be done lord we thank you for it in jesus name brianna can you please check back there and make sure there's no music or anything going Lord, I thank you for coming mightily upon this time, and that the Holy Spirit will breathe upon this, and everything will be accomplished, and through the preaching of the word, that's God's will be done. We bind anything that would try to hinder or distract this in any way. We command it will leave this place. We break your power in Jesus' name, but this will be a powerful, effective night in the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. amen. Wow, what a presence of God tonight, man. All right, so we're getting into the word tonight. And we're going to look at something really interesting. I want to talk about an ancient enemy. Now, we're looking at the God of blood covenant. And so, if you haven't been following this series, you probably do want to go back and listen to the previous sermons. So, we covered quite a bit so far. Now, what I'm going to start looking at tonight, we're not going to cover too much ground, actually, is the enemy of God's blood covenant people And, of course, I'm going to talk about how we can live up under supernatural protection. How many knows that God has made provision? So as we look at the Passover story, we see that as God's people were enslaved and they needed to be brought out of a time where even the destroyer was walking the very streets. I mean, you're talking about a high-level time of warfare. Israel was taught by Moses to bring the blood of the lamb over their, the doorpost, and there was protection. And not only that, Israel ended up coming out of Egypt, and they not only came out uh, free, but they came out. The Bible says that there were none sick or feeble among them, and they came out with silver and gold. So I believe God is wanting us to be supernaturally protected and also that we're able to live in victory in these last days. So I'm going to look at something kind of interesting and take a little bit of a turn in this series. I'm also going to eventually get into bloodlines. How many knows that God is interested in our bloodlines? Amen. All right, so this is part four, and I entitled this An Ancient Enemy. And so as we look at this, I'm mainly going to be looking at the spirit of Gog, G-O-G. And also, Brianna, can you do one more thing? Can you bring that air up for me a little bit, 73? Sorry, we're having uh, my wife's out. She takes care of a lot of things tonight that she's not able to do, so I'm having to get my daughter to do a lot of things she normally doesn't have to think about. So thank you, Brianna, for your assistance. All right, so as we go through this, um, the spirit of Gog, G-O-G. How many knows that is a weird name? Amen? Yes. But that is an ancient spirit, and we're going to look at that tonight. Also, we're going to look at the subject called Olam Eba, which means the ancient hatred. And we're going to look at some really interesting things. But as, before we get into this, I'm just going to reference this. How many are familiar with the story of Purim? We go through it every year in River of Life. We usually celebrate that time as well, and it's a lot of fun. But the story of Purim goes like this the children of israel were in persia and a man named haman rose up. and haman hated the guy mordecai remember the story and he wanted to kill mordecai and so in that it wasn't enough just to kill mordecai how many knows if you're really going to be god's righteous people there are going to be some evil people that hate your guts with a passion amen and so Haman hated Mordecai, and not only did he want to kill Mordecai, he wanted to kill every Jew just because of Mordecai, right? And so he ends up setting something in motion to do a mass extermination of God's people. And Haman had 10 sons. It's really interesting. And so Haman is a picture and type of the Antichrist, and Haman's 10 sons Are a picture and type in the book of Revelation as the beast with seven heads and ten horns. Do you see? And so it's kind of almost like a spiritual metaphor in here that in the last days that they would emerge another last day Haman that would try to exterminate God's people, the Christians, and then he would also turn and go after the remaining Jews, and that's the Antichrist. And so there's, you see in this, there, there's this ancient attack against God's people. I mean, all the way back, when you think about with Adam and Eve, after they sinned, that was attack number one, the devil targeted Eve with deception. But after that, the very next generation, Satan already targeted through Cain to kill Abel. I mean, there was such an assignment because God had prophesied to Adam and Eve that even though the serpent would strike the heel of the coming Messiah one day, that the Messiah would crush his head. So he knew that through the woman would come a Messiah, and he was scared maybe it was Abel. And so he already was targeting that righteous seed right there in the very next generation. So from the time of Adam and Eve all the way to the end, there has been an ancient attack of like an antichrist-type spirit that has been targeting God's blood covenant people. Now, I'm gonna show you something. If you follow me, it's gonna take a few twists and turns. It might be a little bit different than what you're used to hearing. But I want you to see in Genesis 10, verse two, the sons of Japheth, and then it lists his sons. It lists Gomer, it lists Magog, Medai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. But y'all want you to notice they're Magog. Everybody see that? Now, it's interesting because whenever Noah, um, you remember the flood and the ark settled back down, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. How many remember this story? And so Noah took seven of the clean animals. He had to build an altar, and he sacrificed to kind of cleanse the earth from all that happened, okay? And then his sons began to repopulate the earth. Now, Shem was the one that repopulated basically the Middle East. So you have like the Arabs and the Jews all the way down to um, the Far East with China. All of that area goes back to Shem, okay? And then those that moved up north into what we would know as like Russia and the old Soviet Union area, that was Japheth, okay? I'm gonna come back to him in a moment. And then down south, where you see like Egypt and Africa, and you see those lower continents down there, that's where Ham and his descendants began to populate. So the Egyptians were descendants of Ham, all the Africans, all, you see what I'm saying? So they were those three sons of Noah, that's their descendants. And so I want you to understand this because this is geographical. And so with the sons of Japheth, they, he moved up north into Russia what we know as Russia today. And one of his sons was named Magog, and Magog began to populate that very area known as Russia today. Gomer began to populate Eastern Europe, what we kind of know as the Ukraine, and then that area of Eastern Europe in there, okay? And so when you understand that, I want you then to look at Ezekiel because it's going to make a little bit more sense as to what God was saying, In Ezekiel 38 and 39, the Bible begins to predict that in the last days, there would be an attack against the nation of Israel called the Gog-Magog War. I may have heard of this. And so the Gog-Magog War would be, the Bible specifically says it would be in the last days, and it would be a confederation of nations that would descent, come together like a coalition and they would uh, uh, descend down and attack the nation of Israel and God himself would defend Israel. This war has not happened yet, but it is coming. Uh, this sermon isn't about this war, but let me assure you that we are getting very close to it. In fact, I personally believe, it's just my opinion, studying the scriptures, that even things like this invasion of Russia into the Ukraine might be preparation for some of this because that Eastern Europe, area is an area that is known in the past for being anti-semitic but also it's part of this gomer is that area and the he is part of the coalition and so also russia has been making friends with iran who would have ever thought And that again goes along with this war so you can see that bible prophecy is beginning to come together in this area of the gog magog war so look at Ezekiel 38, two through three. It says this, son of man, set your face toward Gog. So picture Ezekiel as he begins to turn toward the north, and he begins to look toward the north from Israel in that area, okay? He's looking northward, and he begins to prophesy. And he was in captivity at time. I understand this, but he begins to prophesy And he says to the land of what? Magog. But look at what it says here. Set your face toward Gog, G-O-G, of the land of Magog, the prince of, and then he lists these, Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Everybody say him. You're dealing here with a spirit. You understand that Gog is a principality. What people haven't really considered a lot of times is there every nation has principalities at work in them. That even right now, even though you may not see this, that Putin, for example, is being impressed upon by the principality of that region, which the Bible calls Gog. Have you considered that? He's not just acting on his own initiative, but something is influencing him to do things. So let me read this again. Son of man, set your face toward Gog. So picture him turned toward the north in the land of Magog, which is Russia, and he calls this spirit of Gog the principality there. He says he's the prince over Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. And prophesy against him, thus says the Lord, I am am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. So there's this ancient spirit, this principality that has been bent, if you will, through the ages to be against God's blood covenant people, in particular to try to stop the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You understand that from the time Satan heard that prophecy in the garden of eden he has been strategizing how am i going to stop this messiah he tried the first time jesus came by killing him on the cross and thought he had won yet it was his own greatest defeat but he now he realizes after that that jesus is coming a second time and he's trying to strategize how am i going to be able to stop his second coming Don't you understand that's one of the reasons why there's a Gog Magog war to wipe Israel off the map? It's not really about that little bitty nation of Israel so much as it is stopping the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to the earth. And then this was a really interesting scripture because you see this all through the pages of the Bible in Amos 7.1, this says the Lord God showed me And behold, a swarm of locusts coming from the east. And behold, one caterpillar, King Gog. (laughs) That's interesting, isn't it? That's in actually the Septuagint version. And then look at this. I want to show you something. Maybe you've never considered this. In Revelation 20, starting with verse 7, when the thousand years are completed. Now, how many remember reading in Revelation that eventually... When Jesus has come to the earth, he's going to separate the sheep and goat nations. He's going to reign for a thousand years. And I mean, he's going to to set everything in order during that time to prepare for the coming of the Father. But at the end of the thousand years, the Bible says the devil's going to be loose for a time. It's not just the devil, but it's actually going to be his forces as well. They're going to be released again upon the earth for a short time. And it says this, When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. And look at this, Gog and Magog. To gather them together for war, the number of them is like the sand on the seashore. So once again, you see this spirit of Gog emerge literally after the thousand-year reign of Christ. And he begins to gather these nations again to do the same thing he did in the Gog Magog War that's to come, to gather different nations together, like the number of the sand of the seashore, to descend down upon Jerusalem to try to dethrone and destroy Jesus Christ. And it won't work. The Bible says in Revelation, Jesus will call down fire from heaven and fry every one of them. My point in all that is this. There's ancient spirits that have been in the earth for thousands upon thousands of years that have been strategizing the demise of God's blood covenant people. They've been strategizing how to maneuver nations to, to come against God's eternal purposes. To try to stop the coming of Jesus Christ, but to also exterminate his blood covenant people. And you can see this down through the ages because also when you look at the scriptures, you see that, as already mentioned, what about Cain killing Abel? What about the strategy of the enemy in the creation of the whole Nephilim that literally the earth was so polluted that it said about Noah that he was the only one, him and his family, whose blood was still pure, perfect in his generations. In the Hebrew, his bloodline was still pure. And God had to spare them In the days of Nimrod, history records Nimrod was a very aggressive, violent tyrant that actually killed the righteous. There's some Jewish writings that's not in the Bible, but says that Nimrod knew that there was something special about Abraham and sought out Abraham to kill him and captured him and his brother. And he was successful at killing his brother, but Abraham was supernaturally spared and delivered. And that's why, this is Jewish writings, it's not in the Bible, but that's why when Abraham left, he took Lot with him because he felt bad about his brother's death. He felt somewhat responsible. And so he took his son with him to take care of him. Very well could be true. And then when you look down through the ages, look at the time of Esau, how Esau so hated Jacob and wanted to kill Jacob. Yet God's purposes were through Jacob. Do you see what I'm saying? There's, this, there's some kind of a spirit behind this that's trying to kill God's blood covenant people and kill the purposes of God. And then Esau's grandson, Amalek, seemed to be passed with that responsibility. And again, we see Amalek reemerge through Haman in the Purim story. So this is something that you can follow all the way down through the ages and of course in the last days it's going to fully manifest through what we know as the Antichrist and the false prophet system called Babylon in the Bible. There's blessings or curses even on bloodlines. Now I'm going to show you something called the Alam Eba which means the eternal hatred. In Romans chapter 9 starting with verse 7 Paul was saying, nor are all the children, because they are Abraham's descendants. He's talking about in the flesh alone. But through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of promise, Is what he's saying, are regarded as descendants, for this is the word of promise. At this time, I will come, and Sarah will have a son. And not only that, but there was also Rebekah, and she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born, now he's talking about here about God chooses even before you're born. And he says, even though they were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purposes according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It is said, the older will serve the younger, just as written, Jacob I've loved, but Esau I've hated. So Jacob and Esau is another example of, of how um, God began to move so powerfully through Jacob, but yet Esau had so much hatred and wanted to pursue and kill Jacob. And you can see, it's really interesting to see this final thing I wanna talk about. And then I just wanna share from my heart about the blood covenant. But it's interesting to me that God did this so many times in the scriptures. Think about how Abraham's first son was Ishmael. But yet, God didn't choose Ishmael. He chose his second son, Isaac. And so, God bypassed. And you think about also with Jacob and Esau, as I've already mentioned, that Esau was born first, but yet Jacob was the one that was chosen. It's kind of interesting that David had all these sons, I mean, I'm sorry, David's father had all these sons, yet David, who was the youngest, was the one that was chosen by God. Now, I'm just showing all of this for this purpose. Down through the ages, God's hand has always been upon his blood covenant people. He has a chosen people. He has a remnant people. He has an elect. Is everybody looking this way? Give me your best here tonight. Let me, let me really bring this home because this is so important. God has a remnant. God has an elect. And among his people there is also always going to be an enemy to God's blood covenant people. And that enemy, you can see it, for example, in this manifestation of that Prince Gog, G-O-G, which I believe is a very antichrist principality. But you see it set up all through scriptures and down through the ages. Just like, for example, in the nation of Israel, you see that in the book of Revelation, that beast had seven heads. Isn't it interesting that down through the ages, Israel had seven major enemies. Israel had first the Assyrians and then, you know what, Babylonians all the way down through the ages, but they had even Egypt, I'm sorry, but they had seven major enemies. And so Satan has always set up some kind of like a strong antichrist spirit, an antichrist system that is there to oppose not only Jesus Christ, but to oppose his blood covenant people and try to hinder God's purposes in the earth on a high level. And I'm saying all that because we're living in the last days and everybody in this room, I know for sure can see that the stage is being set for this emergence again. Even in America, in a place we would have never thought, but everything is coming together like around the world. It's it's a coalescing, if you will. In time, prophecy is already emerged. It's already happening. There is some kind of an ancient antichrist spirit that is emerging very strong, and it is something that's trying to push agendas that God is very much against. And it's also trying to suppress and come against God's blood covenant people. How many can see that? You even see that very strong through the LGBT movement in our day, don't you? And so with all of that said, the reason I'm preaching on the God of blood covenant. Is because just like I opened this sermon with tonight, I believe that we can come up under the shadow of his wings. Just like in Psalm 91, David talked about, I find refuge under the shadow of his wings. So there's a table in the presence of our enemies. You know, if you were, which we are priests, okay, in the new covenant. But let's go back to the Aaronic priesthood. Even if there was war that was going on out there in the, the military of that time under, let's say David was at war, the priesthood could still go into the tabernacle and they would be underneath what they called the Mishkan, the covering there. They would go up in there and they could eat of the table of the bread of presence and drink of the fruit of the vine and they could be in the presence of the Almighty. I believe that that's the same thing for you and I right now. Even though there's gonna be all kinds of warfare and all kinds of craziness that's going on in the world, we can still kind of tuck away under the shadow of Christ's wings, if you will, under his presence, and we can be a people that understand blood covenant. And I'm gonna tell you for me personally, as I have spent time in prayer and I come up under the glory of the Lord, and as I'm taking communion, And as I'm taking up the communion table, and I'm just kind of going through the various promises, just like we do here when we take communion together, as I'm going through and I begin to quote these scriptures, and I talk about how God has justified us and sanctified us and made us the righteousness of God in Christ, and I begin to quote scriptures about how God forgives us and cleanses and washes us and, and covers us up under his blood. And there's a power in that as we take communion and we're confessing the word of God that we're bringing our lives up under the blood and there's something so powerful in that. How many have experienced that as you take communion either on your own or at church? You sense something so powerful about that. And then you move from that to other promises. You think about Galatians 3.13, how Christ has delivered us from all Satan's kingdom. And brought us up under the blessings given to Abraham. And as you're quoting those scriptures and you're being set free, it's like everything Satan has had in my life has broken off my life. And we move into the blessings given to Abraham. And then I think about the healing. That everything Jesus paid for on the cross for us, that by his stripes we are healed. And you begin to go through these different scriptures. And I think about all these different things as I'm meditating on the word and as I'm speaking the word of God and as I'm confessing the word of God and as I'm bringing my life and my family up under the blood of Jesus, it is so powerful as everything in my life comes up under the blood of Jesus. How many knows the devil hates preaching like this? Amen. I mean... And so we come up under the blood of Jesus, and there's so much protection. The word of God begins to insulate your life. Every area of your life is moving into those blessings and promises, and it's such a powerful thing. And listen, as we, as we take communion together in the, uh, as a church, I want you to understand that there's something so awesome and powerful that's happening in our lives individually and in our churches. We're doing this because the blessings of God, the promises of God, everything Jesus paid for us to have, no matter all the craziness that's going on in the world, we can come up under that blood and we can find supernatural protection and provision in Christ. How many knows what I'm talking about? Amen. Listen, I'm hoping that this is hitting home. I've, I don't know if I've ever had this many distractions while I'm trying to preach in the history of <laughs> that I can remember. Satan does not want people to hear this tonight, but it's still getting recorded. It'll still get out there. But let me tell you, what I'm preaching on tonight is so powerful because we're moving into times of spiritual warfare that as the days continue to grow darker and darker, the church may end up having to go underground, and people are going to possibly have to meet in secret. People are possibly going to have to meet in small, just like the early church was not these big churches. I know people always think with the mindset of America about megachurches and all this, but let me tell you, the early church in the book of Acts met in homes, and they were smaller numbers, and that's where the real power really was. It was more family-based. And they, they operated in the gifts of the Spirit, and they saw tremendous things. And they, actually, that church turned the world upside down. This church today may have a lot of fluff and a lot of other things, but they're certainly not turning the world upside down. Anyway, so as we're looking at this tonight... We're, we're going to be moving into these last days and there's all this stuff that's going on in the world. There's going to be tremendous spiritual warfare. There's going to be all this, this danger. There's going to be persecution. But I believe that as we come up under the blood of Jesus and we understand the God of blood covenant and we understand our covenantal promises in him, then I believe there's going to be a supernatural protection. How many believes in supernatural protection? And so I close with this tonight, that as we're talking about um, the supernatural aspect of this, just like Israel in the days of Passover, they were supernaturally protected from death and destruction. How many knows it was a supernatural thing? And so there was that hedge of protection, number one. Number two, they also came out of Israel healed. They was, or out of Egypt healed, there was supernatural healing that took place as they celebrated Passover. Because you know as well as I do that many of them living in abstract poverty like they did and as slaves, you know they had a lot of health problems. But they came out of there healed according to Psalms. And also they came out with silver and gold. They came out prosperous And so there's something that God is trying to tell us that in these latter days as this Antichrist system is emerging and there's more and more persecution and more and more spiritual warfare that's going to be raging against God's people that God is wanting us to learn how to come up under the shadow of his wings and get up under the blood of Jesus and quote the scriptures and meditate on the scriptures and come up under that blessing and that supernatural protection that's going to sustain us through these last days, that we can be protected and walk in victory and walk in actually what Jesus paid for us to have. Amen. So, Lord, I just thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for hearing and answering this, the prayers over this sermon, that everything's going to be accomplished in and through this, that your will to be done. Lord, as this goes out tonight, everywhere it's supposed to get, everything it's supposed to accomplish, Lord, this will be powerful, effective, and fruitful. And help us, Lord, to get everything out of this, that we will remember this, retain this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen.